And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. It is Sunday afternoon, a day off for the Washington Commanders, the players, the coaches, and yes, frankly, the media. Uh, probably could use it uh, after was a really hot few days out in Ashburn, but also a very cool scene as fans, long-suffering fans, poured out to see this team practice, particularly on Saturday with roughly 10,000 people there, according to team estimates. Um, I want to talk about that scene. Thoughts on the first four days uh, of camp. In addition, I talked to cornerback Benjamin St. Just for a little bit in the midst of a lot of uh, cheering and yelling from fans. Um, and also you'll hear from Diami Brown as well. Excited to get into all of this with you here on the podcast, which of course you can find iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. It's also been, of course, a busy time on The Athletic. Uh, wrote a lot about the first few days from the Josh Harris Rockstar Tour to Sam Howell's adjustment to a notebook um, featuring Emmanuel Forbes that went up on Saturday, and I'll have a story on a Monday regarding the um, the passing game and trying to assess the di- what Eric Bieniemy's line is maybe between taking what the defense gives you and dictating terms in game. So we'll get to all that, or you can go check all that out, of course, on the site. And if you want to follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig on Instagram and threads at Ben Standig, the number one. Uh, let me just start with the with you guys. First off, you know, I, I know that, you know, look, I really do appreciate that everybody who checks out this podcast, who reads uh, my work on The Athletic, who follows me on Twitter, engages in a reasonable way. Um, because, look, I'm, you know, as many of you know, I was one of you growing up a fan of this team and you know when you're connected to a team and somebody else's somebody else's actions are making you want to not be engaged not be emotionally invested i'm not always talking about the wins and the losses those things can be cyclical or up and down and sometimes the good intentions just don't work out but obviously the the nasty nature of what was going on around here for so many years, particularly the last three, at least in terms of the um, escalation of news coming out of Commander's Park about Dan Snyder and all of the uh, internal culture struggles, harassment, uh, and so on, and just how on top of the losing, it just became too much, totally understandable for some fans to want to be part of this thing. Some checked out many years before. I know plenty of friends who did for sure. And I've mentioned this before, but as an Orioles fan, 
there was a part of time for me where I was not engaged at all, where I was not going to give the Angelos family my money um, because of how they were running that team. But then this week came, and obviously it, it, the timing could not have been better, right? You have Dan Snyder officially selling on a Thursday. The following day, or I should say officially selling, but you know the, the NFL owners agreed to terms, uh, agreed to, let me, let me speak English here. The NFL owners unanimously vote the sale to Josh Harris. The following day, the money goes through. Josh Harris owns the team. On that same day, the, the rookies report to minicamp. The next Tuesday, the players, the veterans report. And then Wednesday, practice starts. Thursday, the first day fans can show up. You almost could not have had better timing if you're going to have to do this, if you're going to have to suffer through 40 years of all this, to have it all work out that everybody was ready to go and be euphoric together just days after the sale happened. And, and that is what took place. And and every time I was going on the radio this past week, the different hosts, Kevin Sheehan and others, were asking me, so tell me about the scene. Is it really as wild as everybody's making it out to be? And, you know, I want, I, I, I'm, I try to be a realist, maybe sometimes to a default, sometimes you just got to let people have their fun. And I was like, look, obviously everybody's happy that Dan Snyder is gone. But, you know, let's not call it Woodstock out there. It's a much better setup with stands and and uh, some different food offerings and just a professional looking scenario. Okay. But, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, got, you know it wasn't Woodstock. But Saturday was a very, very different story. I got there at about 7.30 in the morning, which is, you know, for a 9 a.m. practice, that's excessively early. But because we've been anticipating fans possibly coming, you know, we've been told, hey, if you want parking, you know, you better get out there sooner than later. By the time I was out there at 7.30 on Saturday, the line, so I don't know how many of you have been out to the park, but the the parking area is right on the outside of the gate at uh yeah out of out of Ashburn the team facility and the line several hundred people it was stretching from that gate basically at that point probably about halfway or so down the long driveway up to, before you get the Loudoun County Parkway not too long after that the line stretched all the way down to Loudoun County Parkway Hundreds and hundreds of people. I don't know how many it was by the time practice opened, but clearly it was, you know, over th in the thousands at that point. The stands, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious to know how you thought about sitting on aluminum, aluminum uh, uh, stands in that heat. But OK, you got something. Uh, those were filled. They weren't filled the first couple of days, you know, like two thirds full, but not full. They were full. That led to people being allowed to stand along the sideline. There was a rope behind the area where the media and others can can roam. And that ringed about halfway around the entire field. And then there were more people around the entranceway where the players and coaches walk out into the field. And then there's another section for friends and family to gather and so on. And it was unbelievable to see so many people being so happy to support this team. 
this is the chance to retake what it means to, to be a fan of this team. And again, I know for so many people, it felt like this was never going to happen. It's been gone too long. And, you know, there may be others out there who are not ready to come back yet, or maybe never will for a variety of reasons. But it was, I was so heartened to see so many of you out there. Um, some of you were kind enough to, you know, say hi to me or, or other, uh, some of my other colleagues. And, you know, I think it was just so great uh, to be able to, 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 to see that for everybody to join together in that way and cheer the players and coaches on, I, you know, sometimes they, you know, th these people talk about the fans and the fans and the fans. And, you know, it, sometimes it feels like it's a little bit of like lip service. I mean, not that they don't care, but I just mean they got their own lives. It's not, you know, th the fans are not always the number one deal, no matter whatever they all say to you. Okay. That said, I believe it here. I believe a hundred percent that they were thrilled to see so many people, in the stands cheering them on even for stuff that was just you know very basic you know sam Howe throwing against air completing a pass uh whatever it might be people were happy people were excited and i you know i it, it couldn't have been a nicer deal other than the fact that we were watching practice on the sun <laughs> it was incredibly hot um from basically most of the of the first four days one day we had some uh cloud cover which helped other than that it was very very hot out there players felt it we felt it no doubt you guys felt it and yet i'm sure for so many people it was almost not noticeable because of just how uh, great it was to get back out there and root for the team so and of course when josh harris was out there the first couple of days um you know the thank you josh chance were evident you know terry mclaurin went by jason wright's out there other players the governor of virginia was out there one day and all eyes were on Josh Harris. Uh, understandable. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about Josh Harris down the line. He was not out there the last couple of days of practice. Um, you know, going back to dealing with what other things he needs to deal with. This isn't his only operation, but no doubt he's focused heavily right now on this team. And we'll all be excited to see what train, what he uh, gets done down the line on a variety of topics, including yes, the stadium and the name change. Um, I want to, um, I'll get to the name change in a little bit, but I do want to start with some thoughts on the football here. And um, just for fun, I'm going to start on the defense just to check it up. I'm going to skip talking about either line at this point. Pads will be on next week. They have not used pads yet. And I think really that's where we really can get excited about talking about the line um, you know, the offensive linemen, no pads. They're on their heels the whole time. They can't lean in and take in a, you know, and push back. They're just sort of absorbing um, hits. So, you know, there's not much of a running game. So we'll talk more about that next week. But I just will simply note that Chase Young looks spry. Um, you know, I, there's still questions on the offensive line. But, you know, right now, Charles Leno, Sadiq Charles, Nick Gates, Sam Cosme, and Andrew Wiley looks like it's the likely starting five. So we'll have more to discuss on that here uh, on the podcast once they get out into pads. Um, I'll just go down the line here. Linebacker, they've been mixing and matching quite a bit the first little bit, but as the week went on, you know, it started to settle into Jamin Davis and Cody Barton as the starters. Not not surprising, of course. Davis was uh, uh, out all of the off-season program earlier with a knee injury, so he was working his way back into practice, which is why he started a week off 
working a bit with the twos. Uh, Barton certainly looks very athletic. I, I'm curious to see what he starts to look like when the run game becomes a bigger factor. Maybe we don't see that until the preseason, but um, you know, I, I think there's a chance we'll we'll get a little better look at that. Um, David Mayo is Barton's primary backup. Kalik Hudson um, has you know looks like has asserted himself as the Jamin Davis backup. A lot of talk about how well he has performed this off season. So um, you know, is it going to be the weakest part of the defense? Yeah, sure. Uh, if Jamin Davis can step up and continue to make strides and and become an athletic difference maker. Forget whether he's, you know, of the value of the first round pick that he was uh, you know, when they selected him in 2021. Just getting, you know, being a, an active participant, being somebody who's truly noticeable out there with regularity would be huge for a defense that's got studs on the defensive line, a much improved secondary. And, you know, you're just sort of asking the linebackers to hold on to a degree. But if Davis and Barton can do more than that, then I think this group could really uh, you know, not just be a top 10 defense statistically, but actually feel like a group that's pretty imposing out there. It didn't always feel that way um, last year. All right. Now, so the, the beyond those guys, not really sure what to make of that group, uh, but we will see over time here. The secondary. So I've got a story out on Monday about how, I'm always fascinated by the notion in any sport where this applies. What's the what's the line between giving what the defense takes you and being the one dictating terms? Uh, this is something that used to drive me crazy when I would cover Georgetown basketball. Uh, when the Princeton offense, which I know gets a bit of a bad rap for anybody who plays basketball or who follows basketball, but the thing that would frustrate me was it was a constant notion of, you're setting yourself up to to take advantage of whatever opportunities the defense gives you. But obviously, if you do that too much, then you're allowing the other side to determine wh which of your players, what part of your team will become the focal point for you. And I don't think that's what you want to do, ultimately. It's good to take advantage of something, but you don't want it to be solely on the other team's terms. It felt it has felt that way a bit in, in these first few days of practice in terms of how the quarterbacks are wh where the quarterbacks are distributing the balls. I'll get to that part in a second when we get to the offense. But I mentioned this because I think the secondary played pretty well so far and particularly the cornerbacks. I think Emmanuel Forbes has looked he's constantly around the ball as expected uh, based on, you know, what we know from his college days. Uh, with all the interceptions and the pick sixes. I think Benjamin St. Juiced has looked particularly sharp as well. Uh, Kendall Fuller on the, the other side. Uh, you know, I think those three, when they're out there together, I think could be a pretty strong group. Now, the way it's been working so far, Fuller is the one constant. If I say the far side, I mean, relative to where we're standing, but he's on, like, if you're looking for the quarterback, he's to the quarterback's left. He's been out there pretty much. The whole time the mixing and matching parts occur they've had saint juice on the outside at times with rashad wild goose in the slot then they'll move saint juice inside and put forbes on the outside i think they're still trying to figure out that balance of how often to use those guys and when and where no doubt certain matchups will dictate that if you've got more size in the slot 
or if there's like say a tight end, maybe that's more of a St. Juice thing in there versus if you've got some bigger receivers, maybe you want to get St. Juice outside a bit more, but uh, you know, look, Forbes had a essentially a pick six on Saturday. Uh, you know, looked like a bad read off from Sam. Howe. it was a, a blitz coming in. I want to say from Derek Forrest. Uh, he and it looked like Howell and Terry McLaurin, the intended target, were not necessarily on the same page. Forbes read it. He jumped up and uh, jumped the lane in front of McLaurin and uh, did what he does, picked it off and was going to run it back if they, you know, if they were keeping score. Um, so I think that group has looked good. As far as the safeties goes, you know, Cam Curl had an interception earlier in camp. Uh, Derek Forrest has been, you know, the unquestioned starter next to him throughout. I've been a little surprised that Quan Martin has been kind of a quiet so far and don't miss, don't infer quiet means poor or bad. It just means, you know, he, it doesn't feel like he's been used a ton as that slot corner, which is where we, I think expected him to be a bunch. He's been back in the, in sort of the deep secondary with Percy Butler, maybe with Jeremy Reeves. Um, so I'm curious to see how that continues to evolve over time, but there is just a lot of talent in that group. It's certainly a lot of potential for sure. So it would be very interesting to see how that goes. And I'm saying this in part to whatever I'm about to discuss with the offense, keep in mind, we already know it's a top 10 defense from last year. They look like they're picked up right where they left off. And the secondary, the quarterbacks are having to react what the defense is doing not just uh allowing them to do but what they're actually doing so i think that is an important key defenses always win these early portions of the training camp practices no different here but it's also not just because defenses um mature a little bit quicker it's that they've got a lot of talent and that is showing speaking of that let's uh let's do this i did catch up with benjamin st juice after Friday's practice, uh, caught him walking off the field. Fans are screaming and yelling for Terry McLaurin and others. You're going to hear that. I apologize if the volume is a little bit loud at some points and you hear kids screaming and, you know, that, that can sound a certain way. But I did get the chance to talk to St. Juice about the defense, about the heat, uh, and what his thoughts are about Eric Bannemi's offense. So let's do that. Here's my quick conversation with Benjamin St. Juice after Friday's practice. All right, uh, Benjamin said Juice has kindly uh, joined me here after practice. It is hot as a you-know-what, and I know we're all dying. How do you feel after a practice of going ahead of a couple hours? This heat is unrelenting. It is, but, you know, that's that's football condition. You have to get through that. It builds uh, resilience, grit, all the stuff that we're going to need, you know, to get through the, the tough season. So uh, you got to, even though it's hard, you got to embrace those those days, and once you get done with it, you just feel way better. Is that a mentality you've had always, or is that something you've had to learn? Because I know for me, I'm an older whaler than you. I do not have that mentality. Do you just, is that something, you know, as an athlete, you just have to learn along the way? I'd ra- Yeah, I'd rather go through, like, hard workouts like that and practice and, like, get through it and, and, and practice, and then once I get to the game, it's way easier you know you want to build that callus you know that resilience prior to the season started and building during the season because that might cost you a game you know from not being conditioned might not being tough enough mentally to get through the heat so you want to build that right now so then when you get through the season you're ready um you ever, you ever weigh yourself after practice and see like how much you how much you lose weight out here yeah we got to weigh ourselves before and after practice so like what's the weight? most you ever lost after practice 
Uh, I don't really lose too much because I, I, I hydrate a lot out there on the field. Like, even though I sweat a lot, I try to drink consistently, Gatorade, water, and all that stuff. And then I'll go eat a good lunch. So I maybe lose, like, I don't know, five pounds to the max. On average, three pounds. So. As you might be able to hear, Terry McLaurin's nearby, and the fans are uh, all in on uh, on Terry. Um, what, um, so it's three days in. People, of course, want to ask me, how's it going? I kind of say, well, it's three days. I haven't had pads yet, but they're getting back into the rhythm. What say you? What, what do you kind of say where you guys are at three days into this? I think the defense picked up right where we left off. Um, you know, we're, we're starting hot. Uh, we got a good unit. We got good guys coming in and rotating, so we always fresh. Everybody learn, learning and know their stuff. Uh, as for the offense, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't make any like early speculation. Everything we all know that defense, defensive scheme clicked way faster than offense. So, um, for that to get like a real good picture of like our overall team, I will have to look at like towards the end of camp. Once Sam and the offense is comfortable, and then we got some good batters. I don't know what I'm going to edit out, but this is now twice we've had to like pause because there's so much noise. What all these fans are out here? I mean, there were fans last year, but this is obviously different, and we know kind of why. What's it like now? You're practicing with this happening as opposed to the way it's maybe been the last couple of years. I love it, honestly. Like, it, it, like you said, it's way different than last year. You can see by the new facility, you can see by like you know the amount of fans that we have, and this is why we play the game for. You know, play for the fans. The fans love to support us. We create a some sort of like atmosphere, and then. You know, hopefully we see them this year throughout the whole season so we can have, like, own field advantage. Like, that's that's what we're working for, you know, build a, a whole, like, culture of winning, you know. I mean, it's got to be exciting, right? I don't know how much you pay attention to all the outside noise. I know a lot of athletes say they try to avoid it kind of hard around here, but yeah. at least it's got to be some relief, right, uh, for everybody to new a new era. It's a new era. I, I hear none but positive teams coming in, so I'm all in for it. You know, if it can help us and get more support on the field, I'm all for that. You know, it's, it's always going to feel way better when we when we win in the playoff and win the Super Bowl. And just lastly, so I let you go inside. Uh, you mentioned the offense. We were already curious what an Eric Bieniemy offense will look like for you as you're getting ready for the season. What are some of the things you're noticing about it that's going to be interesting for the offense, but also maybe helps you get ready for the season? way more explosive you know uh you always get the enemy the enemy always keeps you on your toes you know with the plays that he has because you never really know like who's really going to get the ball because he kind of like gives a chance to everyone on the offense from running back tight end receiver to get some sort of play that's like creative and explosive so um and that's what you need in this nfl you know where he comes from a conference where you know they score 30 plus points every game so that's what he's going to try to bring here My, hey, benjamin i really appreciate it good luck go inside We'll talk later, man. Thanks so much. Ron already go? 11.25. Ron's going to be done 11.25. Good stuff there from him. You know, he's not the only one who said that he feels that this offense is more explosive than what has been out there and uh, previously. And I also like what he said about how you just never know where the ball is going to go with this Bienemy offense. If you look last year with the Chiefs, Kansas City finished top five in targets to running backs and tight ends, but were 20th in wide receiver targets, which is one spot ahead of Washington. I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to spread the wealth, to get 
more people involved, right? I mean, you don't want to, I mean, obviously you want, it's that line. And this, this is what I was talking about before. It's that line between you want to put the ball in the hands of your playmakers, but simultaneously, if they're being double teamed or, or the defenses are rotating in that direction, take advantage of a Cole Turner, who I think has looked pretty good so far in camp or your running backs so who can catch the ball. But this is what it is where it is so interesting to see how this distribution is going to work eventually. Um, you know, it's fun to say, hey, you got a lot of playmakers with Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, plus Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson out of the backfield, Logan Thomas and Cole Turner. All that is is great and no big deal. But as we know, last year, the last couple of years, there have been times where people are like, hey, how come Terry McLaurin's not getting the ball? Or, hey, how come you abandon the run and things like that? And that's what that's what makes the play calling so interesting and why, from that perspective, it's going to be really almost impossible to know what the enemy is all about until the games turn real. We probably won't even know in preseason for sure, just because, you know, you don't want to sh- reveal too much of your of your planning. Um, but as I said, I feel that it's not that the offense has been bad overall. It's they were not very good on Saturday, but the ball has not been going to the receivers much at all, particularly the first, you know, the first two groups other than De'Ami Brown, I think has had some, some really good plays. I'm intrigued to see where his, his game goes uh, this year as well. I think the enemy will do a good job or a better job of, of getting him involved, particularly down the field. So, you know, I, I want to see more from McLaurin, Samuel, and Dotson as the week goes on, but not just like see them, but how they're how they're used. How do the quarterbacks see the field and get them the ball? It has felt that they these guys the, look, Sam Howe is a big arm and he's looked pretty good on some deep throws. He had the Terry McLaurin bomb that you put you all probably saw on social media during the week. I thought on Saturday's practice, though, I thought both he and Bursette, it felt like they were, when they were trying to get the ball down the field, it felt a bit forced. And that's where some of their problems come up. Uh, I think that's where it feels like to me, watching from the sideline as we as we do, that that's where Hal's sort of biggest weaknesses have been. I thought he's made some really nice throws to the tight ends and backs over the middle. I remember he had one the other day where he really threaded one to Brian Robinson over the middle. He's taken advantage of Cole Turner and and, and Logan Thomas being huge targets with with a good catch radius. There's that term um, over the middle, but overall, I think Sam Howell had a pretty rough Saturday. I asked Ron Rivera after practice, you know, obviously, you know, kind of what you think of those guys, as well as this notion of how do you, you know, determine you know, kind of who's dictating terms of the, of the offense versus defense. And, uh, you know, he's not worried about that too much right now, which logically makes sense Two new quarterbacks to this system, a new offensive coordinator. It's only week one, all of those things. But I think he did kind of acknowledge that they will eventually have to start figuring out how they're going to dictate the terms rather than just let the defense do that um, for both Hal and Bursette. Um, there were some throws on Saturday, that were unwise. Not so much. I mean, I'm going so much blame how on the interceptions. The first one for sure. There was another one later that went through the ball, went through the hands of, I want to say it was 
I, the days are blending. It was either Cole Turner or Deami Brown and into Percy Butler. Um, but how, you know, really did kind of misfire on some throws out wide and deep. I, I jokingly use the term that uh, on some of them that, that looked kind of Wentzian. Because as many of you remember last year, we were just tweeting up a storm about how so many of Carson Wentz's throws were all over the place. And I wouldn't say Hal has been that erratic, but he's when he's been off, he has been off. And he doesn't yet have Brissett's experience and savvy, whereas Brissett, I think, has so far had a better chance of turning lemons into lemonade. Um, Sam Howe may get more a better uh, more of those opportunities when the RPO starts becoming a bit more of a thing. We can use his legs. Um, and just, you know, time, right? I, I think all that's a big factor as well. So that's some of what's kind of going on with the offense. As I said, I'll get back to the line stuff uh, or to the line play next week when the pads come on. For what it's worth, um, Deami Brown, a few of us caught up with him after practice. I want to say it was Friday as well. Here's just a couple of quick minutes about where he's at. You'll hear my dulcet tones here in a moment. Here's Deami Brown on how he on how he's looking ahead to the season and what he thinks he's been able to do and show so far in practice. And when you learn from guys like Terry, like what is that like working with him, Jahan? What do you kind of learn from those guys? Oh uh, man, they're all great receivers, and you know they're professionals. You know, so, and Terry been here for a while, so he understands the game. So him just teaching me and I'm just getting all that knowledge and wisdom from him, you know, it, it kind of helps me out as well. And with under behind me with this offense, he seems to be, like, hyping you guys up individually. He's real active when it comes to, like, you guys are really nice. I saw him running on the side with you guys. What's it like to have a coach like that so oh, man. active? Oh, man, with him, it's, and, and, it's, and it's every day, you know, with everything, man. And you got to respect it, you know, because – he wants all of us to be great, you know, including so, so him bringing that energy allows us to bring energy as well, just to match it. And I think we can be very great with those energies. And would you say he's like a player's coach, you think? Oh, most definitely. I, he'll play a coach, and he's a heat coach, too, as well. <laughs> hey, Deami, everybody's saying that the offense is more explosive this year, at least has the potential to be. What does that mean? I mean, obviously, you throw the ball 40 yards downfield, but for you, what does that mean that it is more explosive? You assume you agree with uh, I think it's more of the opportunities that we can have within the offense, you know, because we have the guys that do it. And I think now it's just, you know, with guys being able to move around, you know, we have a little bit more opportunities to be more explosive. And, like, I'm not trying to, like, kiss your butt, but, like, the last couple of years, I felt like you've been just underutilized. And now with this new offense, it feels like, okay, we're going to get to see a guy who's got the speed, contested catches. You kind of feel this is uh, that type of opportunity for you to be show more what you can do? Yeah, so all I want to do, you know, is when the opportunity is given, you know, just to show what I can do. You know, and even if the past two years was kind of slow, you know, I just put that in the past and leave it where it be and let this year, you know, be a new season and start to do new things. And obviously everybody's interested in Sam. You know him better than everybody probably. What? How do you see his progression? Obviously the deep ball is certainly in his arsenal. Uh, he take it day by day, you know, and, and us just having an opportunity. As you can see, we've been going deep a lot. So I think with him just being comfortable with us and understanding how, how each and every last receiver is, I know him throwing that deep ball, he understands the touches, where we would be, and you know, at certain moments because it's all about timing. And him just going through that with us, you know, I see that process just keep going. All right, um, so that's Deami Brand there. Speaking of the receivers, I wrote about this in the notebook that I put up on uh, on a Saturday, ca- sort of capping the day and capping the week. Uh, it is, you know, I anybody who knows me knows I love doing the 53-man projections. I love that type of roster 
uh, thinking, you know, what 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 makes sense, what doesn't. I'm going to have a lot of fun with the wide receiver room after those top four guys. The five and six spots, I think, are just you could you could take the, all the names that are there: your Dax Milnes, your Byron Pringles, Marcus Kemp, Casimir Allen, uh, Jordan Jordan Sample, uh, some others, and pull two out at any point and think that that seems like a reasonable combination. Obviously, the return game will have will, will have a big impact on that. Um, so will just how other positions unfold. Can you keep six receivers if you decide, hey, we really want to keep Jonathan Williams in the backfield, or there's a, you know, a tenth defensive lineman or tenth offensive lineman, whatever it may be that you think you need to keep. And then, you know, what happens to the return game? You know, is Dax Milne back as a punt returner? He was totally solid last year, but was definitely solid and very unspectacular in what he did. But you know, he didn't didn't have any mistakes really either uh Antonio Gibson obviously did some uh some of the kick returning last year that could happen again but you know Byron Pringle who is one of the two guys with ties to Eric Bieniemy, maybe he come get uh, gets in there he he's been he's had he was really productive in 2021 as a receiver but uh, you know is that enough to keep him around and there of course is my phone um you know do, do you keep him around a guy who sort of the same size as all your other receivers. Would you rather have to keep some height guy like camper sample would give you some of that sample. Of course, as a undrafted free agent would be a bit of a long shot, but he's got some talent. I've liked what I've seen with him. Bryson Tremaine, another UDFA from Stanford as well, but maybe you say, screw it, keep Pringle. And you can think, Hey, we can move Cole Turner outside. Let him be our outside receiver. When we feel we need a little extra size, say, particularly in the red zone, Perhaps that's the way you you go. Um, but again, if the returner is coming out of this, then what does that mean? You know, Casimir uh, Allen, he he missed a bunch of time, unfortunately, during the offseason program with an injury. But he's looked back. He's he's looked sharp. He's looked uh, slithery, slippery, all that good stuff. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this goes. And, and ultimately, you know, this is a position. I don't know if I ever see them keeping seven based on what's here, but, you know, I think there's a world they may only keep five, depending on what other positions take place. So it is hardly, this is not a a scenario that is going to win or lose this team, but it is one I will be interested in watching, and I wrote about it a little bit for The Athletic this week. Um, All right, last thing for me, I just want to, well, I don't know if this is the last thing, but let me just touch on the name situation really quick. I really don't want to talk about it. I've been one of the people who've been trying to temper the conversation since we knew that uh, Josh Harris was taking over. And since like Magic Johnson went on today's show and when he was asked about people not liking the name, he starts to giggle and people took that to me. And then he also said, you know, everything's on the table and people took that to mean that they're definitely changing the name, which I have thought at that point was incredibly naive. Of course. I think there's a, uh, to start off, I think there's just a fundamental misunderstanding for what people think about the situation. There was a 0.0% chance that the Harris group was going to come out day one of their, uh, of buying the team and then tell all the fans who clearly would like a name change that no way we're changing your name. We're, We're leaving it commanders no matter what, don't ask. Obviously they wouldn't say that. Why? Because, you know, I mean, maybe they think that, 
there's zero you have you don't want to ruin goodwill on day one so they're going to see and they're going to think and josh harris has said now multiple times that not just with the name change but with so many aspects of the organization that he just got a hold of that he had very 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 little time to look at under the hood right to see what's really going on that they're going to say make any dramatic changes one way or the other and so i don't think they are but when the argument starts off that because of that, because Don Van Nat and Adam Schefter and maybe some others are saying that they think a name change will occur, this is leading people to play the game of telephone where they think a, something will happen that has now turned to it will happen. I'm, by the way, I'm not saying it won't. If you made me pick yes or no, I'd probably say yes. But yes may be in three years or eight years I, You know, when there's a new stadium. I don't no earthly idea that it would be coming up anytime soon. For those of you who remember the project I did a couple of years ago about the name change process, one thing that various experts said was that it takes 12 to 18 months for that actual process to occur. You don't just willy-nilly say, eh, fine, let's change it to something else. First of all, you got to figure out all kinds of uh, aspects, trademarks, copyrights, what's the cost. Uh, you know, you got to get it approved. Does it make sense to the community? You know, just because it sounds cool, is it actually, you know, is there any real connection to it, i.e. kind of red, like Red Wolves? There's a lot that goes into this. So when you start there, the idea that they're going to just come in and definitely change the name, I think is, you know, again, I, I don't know if naive is the right word, but I would probably put it to that. Just to be clear, not being rude, not trying to be condescending the way some people have said on Twitter. I'm just trying to point out the logic of the situation. And then if you take your time, who knows what ha what the world, what's happening in a year from now um, or two years from now? Uh, what if they start to win games? Does that change anybody's view? Again, there's no such thing as going to be uh, any answer. It's going to get 100% approval rating. There may not be 50% approval rating. Not everybody will be happy. And therefore, the idea of rushing out and changing the name is not, is unrealistic. By the way, I will also just note in terms of the for those of you who keep citing the Van Nattas and Schefters, if they were reporting this, they would be writing this. I don't mean Twitter. I mean, they would be a link to a story that says the commanders will change their name right now. They're just speculating. And who are they talking to? I don't know. You can assume whatever you want. I've talked to people, too, and I have no sense that anything is happening any minute now. Uh and, and this whole thing is so silly that the other day when Magic Johnson tweeted out a picture from Greece with his family wearing commander's gear, using the name commanders, I, I tweeted this and said, look, to all the people who keep telling me how this how the new bosses are, you know, not saying commanders as a sign that they're going to change it. I point you to that. I also point to there's this notion that people are staying Redskins more and therefore that could be a sign that they're going to go back to that name. No. That, 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 uh, from an anecdotal perspective, that's not a thing either. As some look again, I grew up here as as you guys know, and I said the name when they when they first went from Redskins to the Washington Football Team. Um, it, it, it I fumbled over that many times. I'm sure a lot of people a lot of people did. You guys do. When I'm with my friends and family, and I'm not on the radio, and I'm not doing a podcast, and I drop my guard, yeah, I will still sometimes slip that out. As well, saying skins is easier than saying commanders, right? Okay, all these kinds of things. Well, think about it from the perspective of Josh Harris. He has not been having to talk about publicly this team, this name, 
much at all prior to buying the team. But he spent his entire life a fan of the Washington Redskins. So I'm sure for him and for those other guys, it's it's something in their their it's in their nature. They're, they have to constantly think about it. I really don't believe on any level that anytime they're using it, it's a signal that this is where the team name is going to go. They might love it. I again, as being somebody who was part of this fan base, I don't believe that the, the vast vast majority of the fan base was ever using the name in a, in, a, in a negative derogatory way. But as a you know, but that is how it was viewed by many people for many years. And the summer of 2020, so many things happened that summer between Dan Snyder pissing off his partners, including Fred, FedEx chairman Fred Smith, who publicly pushed for the for a name change, to uh, the summer of 2020, the murder of George Floyd led to a, you know a, a massive conversation in this country about race. Um, even to go back to Mayor Bowser saying the D.C. mayor saying many times that. She would not endorse an, uh, a team in D.C. if the name remained what it was. So all of that did happen. We can't pretend that, oh, well, they just randomly forced Dan Snyder to do it one day and, and we can go back to what it was. I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that other than to say that's just not going to happen. I, I tweeted, I quote tweeted someone the other day who, who mentioned on Twitter there's some petition out there for 13,000 with 13,000 signatures saying change the name back and then citing all these other little anecdotes that I just mentioned about owners using the name and things like that, the old name and things like that. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, Sponsors will not come back here or will, will, will will leave if that were to happen. The league would not allow it. It, it. You know, Pepsi on a building at FedEx field. It's not just a matter of Pepsi, and and FedEx Field. It's a matter of Pepsi and the NFL. Pepsi's overall, you know, billion dollar brand. Um, the, it's it's not going to happen. And then when people say, "Well, we'll just go get other sponsors," that's not how this works either. You're not just gonna. Everybody is gonna is is facing the same societal pressures. Say whatever you want about them. You can say it's it's wrong. It, it it's too much. Don't tell me what to think or say, and all that kind of stuff. In the world of money, that that stuff matters and they're not going to go backwards to this. Not to mention, why would you want to start another controversy? You just got rid of so many. There is, there is a a weight lifted from all of our shoulders, right? I think we all can feel this, whether you're uh, an agnostic, agnostic reporter or an emotional fan, everybody feels this to go backwards would be, you know, to, 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 to put yourself into a controversy for what? Because I mean, some people, say they won't root for the team otherwise okay i think we saw this week a lot of people are back and there will be more um when they show their faces at games or just be you know being happy for the team putting out positive vibes out into the air by the way of course there was a negative story this week where uh big 100 the station is now i guess the flagship station of the team their morning host don geronimo of course a long time fixture in the area he was one of the um you know main disc jockeys back in the back in my high school college days somewhere around there uh he made some disparaging remarks about uh charlotte mcbride at wusa a colleague and friend of mine and he was not only initially barred from returning to practice he was subsequently fired uh over the weekend putting aside like the specifics of that situation he, 
the, the team was was wise to quickly act on this because the last thing you need is another controversy already. And they ended that one quickly, even though it was with a partner of theirs. And we'll see what happens for that relationship moving forward and what this means for Ron Rivera's coaches show each week and so on and so on. But the point at this stage for everybody involved, particularly the people in the building, is to move forward in a positive manner. And as much as everybody would love the name to be what it might, you know, if, if you if you want it to be the old name or you or there's something else you want it to be, it's going to take time to consider it. But they're not going backwards in terms of creating more controversy uh, over this. It's just not going to happen. Again, I don't say that arrogantly or condescendingly. I say that logically. Um, I want to focus on the, the the team, and that's the other part of this that's so frustrating to me because I'm not. I mean, I know I'm talking about it now here for a bit, but I'm reacting to the the constant conversation about this. That like when alumni show up and they're given these shirts, and it doesn't. It says something like Washington Legends, and there's no Commanders anywhere. That people take that up. Oh, that's a sign, ignoring the fact that none of these people played for the Commanders, right? Daryl Green, Brian Mitchell, Doug Williams, none of them. Well, I guess Doug Williams at least is an employee, so we'll put him out. But all those other guys, that's irrelevant to them. That's not a thing. It's an unusual, weird quirk that we now have, but we now have it here because of this. So um, anyway, do what you want. I'm not here to tell you to not to not think how you want or not say what you want. I'm just trying to say you can talk and yell and scream. They're not going back to the commanders. Business is business. What they do, that's going to be the interesting question. I just don't see them making any name change for some time, whether some time means starting a process after the season or not for three years or not for 10 years because a stadium will probably take five to 10 years would be my guess before we get a new, uh, a new one in town. I think they could decide to wait for a brand change till then. Whatever it is, Josh Harris and his group are just getting in. They're just taking a look at things from the, the football team to the business side hang tight just give it a breath take a breath enjoy the moment smell the air how sweet it is dan snyder is gone the football season is here hope is in the air and let's just go back to focusing on things like sam howell's development and eric b what his offense looks like and you know ron rivera and so on and so on all right all right, I said my piece. You guys have said your piece. You want to hit me up for more, though, as always, at Ben Standig on Twitter. Should have mentioned earlier, you can always email me as well, bstandig at theathletic.com, and follow me, you know, as I said, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. All right, enough out of me. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Benjamin St. Just and Deami Brown for their time. But that is it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.